Did you bring a Bible? I want you to open it, if you would, to the book of Matthew with me. And uh, I want to share something with you that I think is um, uh, really important. Um, It's kind of a family message, but it it applies to all of us, really. Um, It's called Three Powerful Truths. And uh, to me, why it's so important is because of the impact that you have on your children and your now Sharon and I with our grandchildren and eventually our great-grandchildren, praise the Lord, and then eventually our great-great-grandchildren. And uh, three things that they, they've got to absolutely know, and you could just write these down because we're going hit, to hit back at them, but uh, number one, that you belong. Number one, you belong. Number two, you are loved. And number three, you are special. And uh, let me give those to you again because we'll, we'll come back to these in a little while. But um, every kid, every adult needs to know, I mean, every grandchild needs to know that, one, you belong. You belong. Number two, you are loved. Number three, you are special. There's only two times in the New Testament that the Father spoke from heaven about Jesus. And uh, one was at his baptism, whenever he came up out of the water, and the second was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, only Peter and John and uh, I forget who else was there, but there was four of them there, three of them there, excuse me, that, uh, that, heard, uh, that heard these words. But um, they were affirmations that the Father made from heaven about his Son. And you'll remember what these, most of you will remember, you know, this is my beloved Son and whom I'm well pleased, hear him uh, is the basis of it. But in the Message Bible, it says it like this in Matthew 3:17. Uh, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Matthew 3:17. But it says this. Um, and like I said, this is out of the message Bible. And along with the spirit that came upon him, a voice saying this: "This is my son, chosen and marked by my love, the delight of my life." OK? The delight of my life. This is the Father now. This is my son, chosen, marked by my love, the delight of my life. Then in Matthew chapter 17, we once again see where the Lord is speaking. The Father speaks from heaven about the Son again and uh, at the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says this, This is my son, marked by my love, the focus of my delight. Listen to him. The focus of my delight, listen to him. So we see that those three attributes that the father speaking over the son, that he said to the son that, uh, one, you belong. This is my son, right? I know sometimes, you know, when we have our kids out in public, we're like, who are these kids? I don't know who they are. Um, Or, you know, the, the challenge with that. But this is my son or my grandchild, right? And, uh, you know, you always love in a, you know, when you're like, if you have small children and, and, uh, babies, you know, and you're in the, or toddlers and you're in the, you know, you're at Walmart or Myers or whatever, and you meet somebody that you, uh, you know, that, you know, and you're talking to them and you're holding your little child and they decide to pass gas at that time. Uh, you know, and we had that happen tons of times, or they decide to blow, blow lunch right there on the spot or mess their pants or whatever, but still, 
it is vitally, vitally important that they know you are mine. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. You belong. You belong to me. You belong in my life. You are part of my life. Number two, Jesus was affirmed by the Father of his love. This is my beloved. This is my love son. This is the delight of my life, the one I love. And then the third thing, that you are my, that you are special. Was he trying to watch the podcast and it, uh-huh, there you go, yes. Well, speaking of the last one, speak, speaking of the last one, you are special and uh, that the importance of who Jesus was and what he was about. Now, when we look at these three attributes and why these are so vital, and we'll, we'll break these down in a minute, without these things in a person's life and without your children having this, they will grow up with an orphan attitude. Even though they may carry your name and they may live in your house and they be me raised by you and you fed them plenty of meals and gave them a roof over their head, they will feel orphaned because they will feel like that there is a thing because if they don't feel like they belong, that they're not yours and that they're not special, that they will inevitably in their life, they will feel like somehow uh, that there's something missing because God created them to have these three affirmations in their life. Now, I realize we're not God, even as parents and grandparents, even though our kids sometimes look at us as that we're the cash cow of the family, um, that, uh, that in our li- what, what we're doing with them and what we're speaking over them, the greater part of this has to come from the Father in heaven. And uh, if those things don't happen with the Father in heaven, then, you know, think about the Christians through the years that became born again at an altar but never experienced the Father's love. They experienced forgiveness of sin. And I believe they went to heaven. But they never walked in security and love in their lives because they never could quite feel like that they were ever quite right with the Father. Now, there, someone one time talked about that there are three baptisms that we experience in our lives. And I believe that. There is, first of all, the baptism that we receive in water, where we are immersed in the water. We go down in, and our sins are forgiven and they're washed away and we come up to newness of life. The second baptism is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible says that John, you know, that he baptized in water, but Jesus is going to baptize us in the spirit and fire. And uh, when we see the day of Pentecost happening, of course, we see it all through the book of Acts. There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens in the believer's life, which is on top of is not just is not the same as just being filled with the spirit, because every believer has the filling of the spirit when they receive Christ. But you and I, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the outward expression of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, the overflow. So he talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the third baptism, and the vast majority of Christians have never even experienced this in their life, and there's, there's reasons why that is, and that is the baptism of the love of the Father. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. He came up out of the water, and what does the Father do? Did the Father have to say that? But he did. And he affirmed Christ. He made him realize, he, he publicly declared, you are mine, you belong to me, you're my son, you're loved, you're my beloved son, you're the delight of my life. 
I don't care what anybody says about you. I don't care what you do. You are the delight of my life, and you're special. And you're special. You have attributes in your life that are special, that are important. You're important. You're here for a time and a season, all those kinds of things. So let's just talk a little bit about this orphan attitude that get, and it's in the, I mean, listen, it's running rampant through the church. And, uh, and I'll just tell you a couple of the signs of it. Okay. Number one, it, it shows up that orphan attitude or orphan spirit shows up one in competing and needing to stand out competition, competition. And, um, you know, competition is not a bad thing as long as you're competing for the right reasons. If you're competing for attention, then obviously competition is not right. Unfortunately, in my basketball career, the vast majority of what I was doing was competing for my dad's attention. So I, is it all right if I'm transparent with you guys a little bit tonight? You know, my dad, and I love my dad, and he's in heaven now, and uh, so I will not be disrespectful to him, but my dad was... He was basically put into an orphanage, and he was sent away. My, my grandmother just sent him away. She, my grandfather had died, and uh, she just didn't feel she could handle it. She had two daughters, and uh, it was, uh, you know, the, we're talking, you know, in the 40s, and uh, she basically sent my dad off to someplace else to become somebody else's problem. My father, every week, would call home, uh, on the phone and would beg my grandmother and my aunt to come pick him up at the orphanage. And they would promise that they would, but they never did. He would pack his bag, stand out by the curb, ready to go home, and they would never come. So you can imagine the damage that that does in a person's life. Because what is that saying to them? Come on, what is it saying? You don't belong, right? You don't belong to us. You're not ours. You're not part of our family. We don't want you here. You're too much of a problem. We don't want you around. And so he had to deal with that in his life. So I realized that for most of us, when we deal with the orphan spirit, it's, 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 it has been perpetuated through our families because of stuff that's gone on in our relatives, our parents' lives, our dad's lives, our mom's lives. Um, you know, it can manifest in a lot of grandparents' lives. And uh, so it can get in. And then it comes into the church, and you have folks that are carrying that within the church. And so it starts showing up as competitive spirit against each other. Uh, you know, it starts showing up with, I need attention. I need to stand out. I need everybody to look at me, look what I'm doing. And uh, so it creates all kinds of problems in the church. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, that God sets each of us in the church. So he sets us where he wants us to be. All we need to be concerned about is being set where he wants us, not where we want to be. Well, I wish I was the pastor. I wish I was the music director. I can play the piano. I should be able to lead, you know, all those kinds of things that can happen. You know, I can give a, I could give a message as good as. Well, see, right away, we're starting to reveal our heart. That it's more about me and getting attention. So I'm all for competition. You know, when I went to my dad when I was a kid, I, I think I've shared this before you, I, with you. I had told him, <clears throat> you know, to come to one of my ball games. Uh, I was a, I was a, a sophomore playing JV basketball and uh, I came home. My dad was downstairs brooding for some reason. I couldn't figure out. He was in the basement watching TV. And I, I says, well, Dad, what did you think? And you know, as a kid, you're you like thinking, well, my dad came to the game. He's proud of me, you know. And he said, you stink and you should quit. 
Now, don't look. I'm not saying that so you will think bad of him, okay? I'm saying that because this, is, this was the thing that ha- So what does that do to me? It says to me that I'm not special, right? And you're embarrassed by me. So I'm not loved either here. And, uh, you know, sometimes parents are, think that, well, because we provided a roof over your head and clothes on your back and we gave you food and uh, we let you live in the house, that that means that you're loved. That does not mean that you're loved just because you provided, Love has to be expressed in a lot of different ways than just that. So dad says, hey, you stink, you should quit. And you know what? I said, well, dad, look, if you think I stink and I quit, I'll quit. Then I'll quit. I'll, you know, I was ready to throw my whole basketball career down the toilet, a game that I really loved and uh, made me feel good about me. And, and then I started to walk away. And before I walked up the steps, I just like something inside of me just said, don't you do this. Don't you do it. Don't you let him. Don't you let him do this to you. So I walked back and I said, look, here's the way. And I never, Sharon knows this about my dad. I never stood up to my dad. My dad was a sergeant in the Marine Corps. You just didn't stand up to him. And uh, I don't care how big you were. And uh, so he, um, I said, uh, dad, uh, here's the deal. If you don't want, I'm going to keep playing. And if you don't want to, if you're embarrassed by the way I play, then don't come to any more of my games. And my dad said at that point, he says, don't worry, I won't. And that was the end of it. Well, I got better. And I worked my butt off. But I'm not real sure that I worked my tail off so that I could be the best me. I think I worked my tail off so that my dad would say, you belong to me, right? You belong to me, you're loved, and your son, you're special. So if you wonder why I'm screwed up, this is why I'm all screwed up. So, I mean, look, hey. So this can manifest in a lot of different ways. And, and I might be touching some nerves here with you guys tonight. That's okay, though, because, look, the Father has made provision for our life that we can feel and experience, truthfully, the baptism of love in our life. I mean, he, he, it's not just for Jesus because there's a baptism of love for all of us because, and we'll look at this in a minute, because in Romans 8 it says we're his adopted children. We're in his family now, okay? But just because you're in the family, sometimes when an adopted child comes in, even though they're in a new place, they're still acting like they don't got no place. So they fight for everything they've got and they become competitive and they have this need to stand out. Number two, the other thing it can show up as is isolation and independence. I don't need anybody. I don't need the church. I don't need, I don't need you. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody in my... I've heard, had people tell me that in church. I don't need anyone. Well, those are all self-protective things that people are saying because you do need people. Everybody here needs people. God didn't call us to do life alone. Well, all I need is Jesus. Well, see, that's an easy escape, right? That's just a nice escape route out. But see, God called us not to isolation and independence, In fact, the truth is, in a true relationship, sons and daughters embrace interdependence. You know, I have one brother, and I don't know how many of you have ever met my brother Ed, but my brother Ed, man, I mean, he, I'm sure you, everybody's got one in your family. They're like, you just think, okay, where did you come from, right? Because you're not like sis, and you're not like Bob. We all are like, we're kind of like cut from the same cloth. But I think you were cut from someplace else. Where did you come from? And Ed's like that. Now, how many of you think you might be that person in your family? 
Well, at least your family thinks you're that person, right? And, uh, you know, so, I mean, Ed, he just always, I mean, if you're all laughing, Ed's trying to bring you a sobering moment. If you're all in a sobering moment, Ed's trying to, I mean, he just always, and he was, it just seemed he never really, but look, we're interconnected. And when we get together as a family, and Sharon will tell you, if you look up, look, if you go to Webster's Dictionary and you look up dysfunctional family, there is a photo of my family in there, okay? I mean, there's my brother Ed and my dad and my stepmom, my mom, and then there's going to be Shalise's in there and my little brother Bobby. Well, we, I mean, but still, we're interdependent. And you find it, and what's really awesome is, that the older that we get and when we really start breaking free of that orphan attitude, we really become knit together even stronger in our relationships. You know, and especially mom and dad are gone now. My stepmother's still alive, but, but I mean, my, you know, a lot of our family has gone to heaven already that was ahead of us. And so there is an interdependence that now happens. We can actually, we actually talk now. We can actually share things without feeling competitive with each other. We can actually communicate. We can, we can actually help each other without feeling like what's in it for me. Isolation and independence are really bad things because what they do to us is that they really block us from what God has intended for us. We need each other. I see it in the church happen where folks will come in late and they will leave early because they don't want to so I want to do the church thing, but I don't really want to connect with anybody. Okay. And I used to be like that. Look, I, I'll be honest with you. Sharon will tell you, I, I, when I first started pastoring, man, I waited till worship was 15 minutes in. I came out, I did my stuff and then I would pray and minister. And then before anybody could get to me, I was back in my office and back out the door. That said more, that, that created a lot of problems for me because you can't lead the congregation being like that. There has to be, indep- there has to be interdependence within a church. We need each other. We need each other. I can't be there for everybody, obviously, but we need each other. And so we have to think through that. We have to realize that, that if, if I'm wanting just to be by myself and there's all kinds of Christians, you know, when people say, I don't go to church anymore. And you say, well, why don't you go to church anymore? I don't need it. Really, why don't you need it? You know, you just ask people questions. Don't, it, don't, don't make a judgment. Just ask them, why don't you need it? Well, you know, I used to do it. That's what you always hear. I used to do it, but now I don't do it anymore. Well, why don't you do it anymore? What happened that you used to do it and you don't do it? Well, and now you're going to find out what happened. Somebody failed them. Some pastor let them down. Some elder didn't do the right thing. Somebody looked at them cross-eyed and they got upset. And so now I don't need, see, that's the orphan. See how that exists? So that orphan mentality, it could get on people and it creates isolation and independence. Number three, it creates fear and insecurity. I got to hustle up here. It creates fear and insecurity. And uh, so there are fearful moves that happen within people's families and their lives. They're very afraid, so they're very insecure. And insecurity can manifest in one of two ways. Insecurity can manifest as timidity. Also, insecurity can manifest as overabundance of uh, boldness, extreme overbearingness. And so that can definitely be a root part of it. Number four, performance orientation. 
performance orientation. Everything is based off performance. You know, the, if you want to look at a great example of this, and it's one we're all familiar with, um, you know, here's a kid. He comes in. He says, Dad, I want my inheritance handed over, okay? Dad says, absolutely, son. Here's your inheritance. Take it. Do what you will with it. Hands it over to him. Goes away. Blows it all. I mean, absolutely blows it all. All right? And so while he's out there spending all the money and he's blowing all this cash and finally on, and the Bible says he's on wasteful living, he finally comes, he's broke, he's feeding pigs, and he thinks to himself, in my, and listen how he says it, in my father's house, right? In my father's house, I know that there's food and in my father's house, I could go back and I could offer to be a servant in my father's house. And so he, he gets this idea about heading home. So he heads home. Well, he gets home. His dad sees him and it plays out way better than he thought. The father embraces him, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on him. You know, there's a lot of symbolism there, puts sandals on his feet. The sandals is a way of him saying, son, you're no longer a slave because slaves did not have shoes to wear, sandals to wear. So it was a way of saying, son, you're not a slave. You're my son. You're not going to serve me. You're here as my son. You're, you belong. You know, he's just going re- through all of that. Now, okay, we're all cool with that. We're like, oh yeah, I know all that. But here comes the older brother. Right, And the older brother, when he walks in, he's like, listen, you never did this for me. Didn't even say, you're my father, you should have done this for me. He said, you never did this for me. He said, and this son of yours, that's the way he said it. This kid of yours wasted everything and your feeding him a fatted calf. You never did that for me. Now, here's the question. Who had the orphan spirit? See, we would think, no, well, why would he have an orphan spirit? Because he, see, it doesn't matter. You have the same dad, same environment, same environment. Both of them grew up in the same house, right? Same dad, same loving father, same, you know, all the different things. But you got one who has convinced themselves that they're not worthy, they're not as fortunate, they're not as good. And what does the father say to him? Son. See, he never calls him dad, never calls him father. He says, you. He says, son, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. Now, who knows why this happened in his life, why he was like that. But obviously, in the end, you know, it doesn't end well. The story does not end well. He just basically rebukes his son and says, your brother was dead and is now alive, and you should be rejoicing over this, and that's the end of it. And we don't know, you know, any more about it. The older boy had an orphan attitude. He was competitive. He was insecure about his own relationship. For whatever reason, he did not feel in his own heart that he belonged that he was loved, he brought up his work ethic, didn't he? I have served you faithfully. You know, if you ever, I'm, I'm not, don't answer this. Have you ever done that with God? Lord, you need to answer this prayer because I have done this. That's an orphan mentality. 
I did this, you should do this. It's tip for tat. I've been good, you be good, right? It's interesting when you look at how the father made these declarations over the son. I have to believe that Jesus was the absolute most secure person that ever walked the planet, okay? I mean, the father makes these bold public declarations in front of his disciples and makes these declarations into his, uh, uh, at his baptism to John as well. And Jesus was the most secure. And I think this is something that we have to impart to the next generation. And part of the problem that we're dealing with in our society, in our, especially in our education system, but in our sports programs too, and uh, please don't throw rocks at me, but you know, we give out now, everybody gets participation awards, right? right? Well, you didn't do anything, but here's an award, okay? You, you didn't, and what we're trying to do is something that isn't going to accomplish what we want it to accomplish, because when everybody gets the same thing, nobody got anything, Okay, yeah, so what we create is a wrong work ethic in our kids. And, you know, so when we're, and the problem is, is because what we're trying to say to our kids is, you belong, you're loved, and you're special, or you're, you know, you're, and and I want to do that too. I mean, look, I want my grandkids, I want them to, hey, great. Oh, you didn't get a medal? But look, I love you. You're my grandchild. I'm so proud. But, but see, what we try to do is we try to accumulate, we try to do it through stuff and saying things like, well, you know, okay, I know you didn't get an award and you didn't do as good as everybody else, but you're as good as everybody else. Well, see, we're already creating that mentality in them that they're not as good as everybody else. And what we have to recognize that that system perpetuates itself. And the reason it's so strong in our society today is because we have school systems that are full of teachers and we have parents that are raising children that have an orphan spirit. Because you haven't settled that you (laughs) belong, that you are loved, uh, and that you are special. See, it carries over. And I know, look, man, I can feel this is really touchy, okay? But you are. You are. It's, it's interesting, you know, when we talk about you belong, let, let's just break this down. I got, uh, I got a few minutes left here. You belong. Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, and if, why don't you flip there with me real quick, if you would. Romans eight fourteen. Man, I'm going to go quick, so just stay with me. Romans eight fourteen. Whatever you miss, come back Sunday. I'll be preaching it again, all right? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons, children of God. Verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, look, I know a lot of people that make a big deal about the Abba Father and calling God the Father Daddy, and, and, that, and that's fine. If that works for you, that's, that, that doesn't work for me. I never called my daddy Daddy. He was Dad and Pop, okay? So, I mean, that, that's just as what. So, Daddy does, isn't a term that I relate to very well here. But Abba is a term of endearment, okay? But, I, but don't get caught up in what where spirit is crying out, Abba, Father, here. The real power is he has adopted us. 
Now, Paul is writing to the Romans, right? He's writing to the Romans and he's teaching them about, he's talking to them. So he's going to use a term that they're familiar with. The Romans practiced adoption. And when they would practice adoption, the way that they would practice it, and I want you to, everybody look up here at me so you can walk this through this with me. They practiced a thing that they called the vindictatio. The vindictatio. Now, the vindictatio means that a father would have to appear before a judge, and we do that in our society, but the father would appear before a judge to make a legal case, to make a legal case that he had the, that this, that he could have raised this child, that this child should be a part of his family. Basically, he would fight to have that child in his family, okay? And so he had to do this before a judge. Now, when the judge would say to, okay, I'm going to grant the adoption. This is, this is the part I think we somehow miss in all of this because we don't understand Roman adoption. But at this point, they would say vindict, vindictatio, okay? And that's our word for vindication. And so vindictatio means that what he's saying is, and this is what the Romans would practice, is you are acquitted of everything before this day. You're free from any debt you had before this day. You're free from any punishment or crime that you deserve before this. Come on, man, you're not shouting with me here. Everything that you have done prior to this moment, you are now a new person. You're a new person. That guy no longer exists. You no longer are an orphan. You're in this family. And as you take that name now, glory to God, as you take that name, all the rights and privileges under that name are yours. Everything is, uh, is yours now. And what it says to that person that day in the vindictatio is, you belong, you are loved, and you are special. Hallelujah. And you could see how that could play out in our lives if, you know, I mean, look, you would fight for your kids to be in your family. I would fight for my grandchildren. I'd fight for my, I mean, I fought for my son. I mean, I adopted Greg and, and, and look, I, I had to go stand before a judge and plead my case to get Greg to be my son. It wasn't just like that. They just said, well, oh, great. Well, you want to adopt? That's great. They, there's a procedure that you, we had to go through. We had to, you know, publish stuff in the newspaper so that, you know, his birth dad could, in a town that he was in, to see that I'm in, I want to take your son to be my son. I want to give your son my name. I want whatever tie that you had over his life, I want to take that away and I want to now give him a new life. A new life. And I never, ever, Greg and he could tell this to, Greg knew that he, even when I was beating the daylights out of him, I mean, and he just, and he, you know, I never punched him or anything like, but I mean, when I was, he knew I loved him. <laughs> Listen, I didn't say I didn't want to. I just said I didn't. All right. <laughs> you are love, son. Let me show you how much, but see. What is, but see, if he lives his life, that he somehow 
is not, he does not belong. Or he's not as good as his sisters who were born to us, to both of us. Or he gets in his mind that he is not as loved as much as everybody else. Or he gets in his mind that he is not special. Then what happens out of that? Competitiveness, insecurity, all those things can happen. And I'm, and I'm saying all of that because I see this in believers' lives so much. You know, it's just, it drives us. And it's something I've had to really get before God and deal with. Because, you know, you're going to ask me, well, what do we do if we got this? What do we do? You get baptized in love. Well, how in the world do I do that? Yes, for it. How'd you get baptized in water? Yes, for it. How'd you get baptized in the Holy Ghost? Yes, for it. It's all you did. You just said, Lord, I need baptized in love. I'm, I'm, I've got some issues. Yeah, that's the first part of it really is just to recognize I got a problem here, okay? And I see it. You know, it was a hard, it was a hard sell for me in my life. I mean, I, you know, I was, I'm, ex, I, and I still am very competitive and I, and uh, I don't mind being competitive for the right reasons. I want to be competitive against me. You know, when you're competitive against other people, that's when you saying we are the champions in their face. <laughs> right? You see it at the sporting events all the time. I'm better than, we're better than you are. Well, you won that, but that doesn't mean you're better. It just means you won that competition, right? I mean, maybe we just played crappy. Or maybe we didn't play the best of our ability. I mean, it, it, it doesn't mean anybody's better than anybody else. It just means that you won the game. Now, if you're striving to be the best that you can be, that is totally awesome. But if you're striving to be the best you can be so everybody will look at you and say, look at you, you're awesome. Wow. See, something happens, you know, something happens in your life when you deal with that orphan spirit because here's what takes place. Eventually, people come to you and say, man, you are totally awesome. And you go, well, thank you. And then they come to you and go, you suck. And you go, well, thank you. You know why that happens? Because you know who you are. And it doesn't matter what they think about you. It only matters what the Father thinks about you. And he says, hey, see Ken down there? He's mine. He's mine. He belongs to me. The devil says, well, you don't want him. Look at him. Look at what he's done. Look what Ken, look how he, he was in Vietnam for crying out loud. He's not a good guy. He's a bad guy. He's a killer. He's a murderer. He's a, he's a drunkard. He's a whatever. No, man, he belongs to me. You say, well, why would God say that I belong to him? Because this is, this is really powerful because it is in his forethought that he already chose you. And, you know, that's so hard for us to grab hold of. I mean, if you, if you, it, it, it's that he already made the choice for you. He already decided. You know, all who believe on him, he's, already, he's made the choice already. That all who come to me, I receive, even with all their baggage. And thank God for it. Can I get a good amen? amen. So here's the thing. You belong. God fought for you. God fought for you to be in his family. He fought. They didn't give it to him. It did, the devil didn't give you up easy. He fought for you. He gave up everything to get you. You. 
And you know what you I'm talking about. Not the you that's sitting here tonight. The you that wasn't so great. The you that did whatever you wanted to do. The you that mocked him, cursed him. The you that put him way down the list and you at the top. And your own wants and wishes. You belong. I mean, what a great thing for you to be able to take your kids and say, I just, don't ever tell them you're not my kid. You say, you belong to me. Look, you belong. You're mine. I mean, it, whether you do good, I, I, I know I had, to, I had to do that with Shannon one time, you know, because she got kind of my competitiveness with, that, with sports, and it was a way that her and I connected. But I had to make it clear to her that, look, whether you do, because I know, because see, that's one of the things you got to watch with your kids is that you start living through them. And then, you know, especially if you're competitive, oh, my gosh, you know. So if everybody's making a big deal about your kids, it's feeding your orphan spirit because if they love your kids, then they must love you. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good right now. Oh, their name's in the paper? Oh, wow, that's my name too. Woo! When I go to Anschutz or wherever and sit down, everybody goes, oh, look, you're so-and-so's dad, right? Oh, yeah, that's me. Man, they're awesome, right? Wow. No, you can't do that. So I had to sit Shannon down. I said, look, honey, I just want you to know whether you score another point, whether you do anything great. You know, when Greg was, when Greg was going through a situation in his life that was tearing his life apart, I sat him down the same thing. I said, look, son, I don't like what's happening in your life, but no matter what, you are my son. And you will always be my son forever. And if your life goes to hell in a handbasket, you're still my son. I am not letting go of you. I fought to get you, and I'm going to fight to keep you. Can you say amen? Amen. You're mine. You may not like it. You know, as Cosby used to say, I brought you into the world, and I can take you out. But, uh, you know, look, you, you have to be able to say, you belong to me. Whether you did anything great, whether everybody paid attention to you, whether you got all A's and made the honor roll, whether you were the greatest athlete in the world, you are mine. You're part of our family. Two, you're loved. First John 3, 2, this is how the Passion Translation says this, Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, it's not yet apparent what we will become, but we do know that when it is finally visible, we will be just like him, for we will see him as he truly is. And the reason I use that translation is because of passion, because of the way it says that we are God's children right now. We don't see the completion of that because we only see through a glass darkly in the things that we're dealing with. But you're God's child right now. Now, you are loved. What great love the Father has for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what a great manifestation of love that God has for us. I mean, how much more love can God show us than that he came to earth, spread his arms, and died for us? I mean, that's love. That's no greater sacrifice, is there, than somebody to lay down their life, to give up 
their future, listen to me, to give up everything they have for someone else. For someone else. And that's what Jesus did. Because of you. Because of you. You are loved. You are loved. The third thing is, and this is probably one that, that I have to... I'll have to just admit that I didn't do a really great job at as a parent. And that is you are special. And, uh, you know, the reason that I say that is because every kid is different. And you're different. (laughs) Hey, man, I'm talking to you. You're different. You're not your dad. You're not your mom. You're, You're special. There's something unique about you. There's, you know, when people are in the church, I think it's, awesome if we, whatever God has called us to do in the church, that we just do that with all our might and be rejoice about it and be happy about it till he tells us to do something else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, Mark and Jeannie, they've been elders since they got saved. I mean, you know, they never wanted to, they didn't like go in and go, bless God, we're not staying here until we, be, you make us elders. They probably were like, uh, I listened to Jeannie tell a little bit of this. She'll share this on the testimony when we uh, do the celebration, but you know, they didn't ask for nothing, man. They're like, what were you, 24 years old? And like, we're not elders. We're just 24 years old. Why would we be? We just haven't even been saved that long. And we don't know that much about the Bible. And, oh, yeah, no, you're leaders now. Well, look, then just rejoice because that's what God called you to and be happy with it. And if God called you to clean toilets, whistle while you work, man. Come on, be happy, rejoice. Be thrilled with it, not worry about, well, I'm doing this. I see this in the church all the time. People are like, well, I'll do this now, but eventually I'm going to be somebody. Look, you're either somebody now or you're not anybody. (laughs) You know, when we get to heaven, labels are the first thing that are going to blow off of us when we leave this earth. Oh, well, you were a pastor. Wow, you were really somebody. I promise you that is a fact. I'll probably be in more trouble than any of you because I've been your pastor. That's why. And he'll be like, why didn't you straighten them out, man? I gave you the job and you didn't do it. And you let him act like that. And you didn't tell him the truth all the time. And you loved him. Well, I don't know, Lord. I just, I'm, I'm sorry. And yeah. <laughs> yep. But you are special. There are things about you that nobody else has giftings in the great blend of what God has done. And you know, some of us are real athletic and some of us aren't very athletic. But the, the thing is, is that some of us are great studiers and readers and our gifting is, you know, we're, 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 very, we're, we're very melancholy about certain things where we just dig deep and we're very big drivers about other things that we're very passionate about. And I mean, there are all kinds of things that, that, that all of us are different. And that's the beauty of the kingdom. That's the beauty of what God has done. And that's the beauty of your children. Thank God they're different. Don't create them in your image. Create them in the image of God. You, you know, work with them to be who God called them to be, not to be you. Okay? The last thing this world needs is another Richard Jolliffe. I promise you. There's only one, right? There's only one. There's only one of you. And your abilities and your giftings are awesome things that are in your life, and they're for God's glory. And they're to be used to glorify God. So, you know, there are people here that your heart, I mean, look, you're super compassionate about people, and you really care. And, 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 and 
that's a gift from God. I mean, that's a, that's a supernatural thing that God has put in your heart and in your life. There's reasons that you're that way. You're special. God places members in the church as he chooses in particular. So he does that work. You know, when people come to me and they go, oh, pastor, I feel God's called me to go to a different work. I don't go, no, he didn't. I say, well, God bless you. Good. I hope you find the right place and I hope it works out good. And you say, well, but what if they miss it? Well, you know what? God's a big God. And it doesn't take people long to figure out they screwed up. Well, it doesn't, does it? How long does it take you? Not very long. And when you're, you know, when you're in a place and you're like, I don't belong here. I got to go. I, well, I need to go back where I was at. I always tell them, hey, you come back. If it doesn't work out, you're always loved and welcomed here. And this, I'll always be your pastor. I got people that call me their pastor I haven't seen in years. But when I run into them, even if two years has gone by, they'll, they'll still go pastor. Oh, thank you so much for all that you did. Thank you for imparting into my life. And you know, that's, that's great. And I appreciate that. I mean, that's, that's awesome when we get to hear stuff like that. But the thing is, I've got people too that you think I can't preach my way out of a wet paper bag. And I mean, they just, why are you in the ministry? And some of them were my family. Right? Say, so, well, Pastor, how, how will I know that I've been baptized in love? How will I know? See, I, I know how this works in church. We're like, okay, so is the next thing you're going to do something for us that will get us that experience? See, because you rely on me way too much. You rely on the ministry team way too much here. Okay? You're not supposed to do that. Because we're here to develop your relationship with Christ. So, how will you know? You'll know that you're special, that you're loved, and you belong. Now, that's not a one-time deal because the enemy, you may have felt that 10 years ago, but now you're like... Wow, where'd this all come from? Because, see, the old nature is an ugly nature. Everybody say that with me. The old nature is an ugly nature. It's ugly. And you know what the old ugly you looks like, man. And tries to. And, it, and look, if you don't stay fresh, and just like in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, somebody says, well, why do we got to be baptized fresh all the time? Because you leak. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking about you right now. Why you have to be baptized fresh in God's love on a continuous basis. Same reason, you leak. People do stuff. You get the wrong thing. Somebody crossways you, you know, on something. And the next thing you know, you're back to trying to get. You can always tell this, and I'll, I'll stop, I promise, I'm done. Okay? Coming in for a landing. You can tell your level of security when someone rejects you. Because if you overwork to try to get them to like you, then you're really manifesting your own insecurity in your life. Because it doesn't matter whether they like you or not. But I've seen people actually like knock themselves out. And with their kids. I saw a grandmother one time. This is a true story. And uh, 
it was, I was at the hospital to visit someone, and they were sitting there, and the mom was there, and she was talking to her grandchildren, and, uh, the, and she told the little granddaughter, she said, honey, stop doing that. You need to stop doing that. And the little granddaughter said, I'm not stopping doing this. And she said, I said, stop it. And she said, I am not. So she just tapped her on the butt and said, I said, stop it. Little girl took a swing at her. I mean, took a swing at her. Like, I'm, I'm talking fist. Took a swing. Made me want to become involved. <laughs> you ever seen somebody with their kids? You're like, I'm getting involved in this. This is oh, I feel this right now. Well, here's what happened, though. See, the problem was before the child took a swing at her, you know what she did? She apologized. She says, I'm sorry I swatted you, honey, but you, I, but you can't act like that. And that's when the little girl reached back and took a swing at her. What a big mistake, right? Big mistake in par- grandparenting and parenting. See, what we have to do is, is that we have to, uh, like sh- what, what should have happened in that particular circumstance is, is that she should have stood by what she had said. And the little girl would understand that when grandma says, this is what we're doing, then this is what we're doing. No apology. Period. Okay? But, and not go buy her an ice cream to make her feel better about herself. Because, see, that doesn't do that. That doesn't make them feel like they belong. And it doesn't make them, what that makes them feel like is, is they can manipulate you by making you feel bad because you made them feel bad. And so people, parents are held hostage and grandparents to this all over the world. I mean, it's just amazing. So what we have to learn to do is, is that one, we have to work on us first and say, okay, here's the deal. I need to realize in my life, I am loved by God. God loves me. And I know we say that in the church all the time, but that doesn't work unless you do that first part. I belong. God fought for me. God fought for me. And now I'm his child. Did I deserve any of that? No, I deserved help, but he fought for me. He argued with the devil to get me. He gave his life and paid the punishment. You know, when I take communion in the morning, Mark, I always go through that. I just think about how in the world Jesus could bear every bit of that was my, the sickness and disease he bore was my sickness and disease. The sin that he bore, that he bled for. He bled for this. The pain that he felt in his body was, be, was for me. Not just because of me, but for me. See, if you just think it was, it was because of you, you always live with that. You've got to realize it was for you to be in his family. So when will you know that you've had the baptism in love? Well, you know it whenever you, one, know you belong. Two, you're loved. And three, you're unique or special, that you, you have abilities. And guess, and it may not be like everybody else. Well, how do I get it? Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Now, it's not like you've got to persuade God to give this to you because he wants to. There's a scripture, and we saw it right there, that the spirit within us is crying out, Abba, Father. So this thing, 
just like the baptism of the Holy Spirit started from within and moved its way out for everyone, so is this work of grace through the love, the baptism in love, that it begins in here, Abba, Father, and it manifests out here. And for some of us here tonight, that it will be one of the greatest things that will ever happen in our life. It'll change the trajectory of our whole life because at that moment we'll know for a fact, absolutely regardless of how much money we have in the bank, how well our health is today, what we have accomplished, what are our accolades, we will know with it for a fact that we belong, we are loved, and we are special. Stand with me if you would. Amen. Father God, I thank you tonight, Lord God, for what you did for me. Lord, I'm, I could stand here and tell story after story about how screwed up I was. But Lord, I realized that I have been vindicated, vindicated because of Christ. That he argued for me and for these people here. And Father God, I just pray for those who are listening on uh, the internet or, or here with us, Lord God, that they would experience the baptism of your love in their lives. Lord, is there in their devotional time, their private time, and they just say to you, Lord Jesus, I want to experience the baptism of your love. That God, that they would hear within themselves the Spirit crying out, Abba, Father. And Lord God, that that great sense, that great feeling, the overwhelming, like the, Lord, how great and awesome the baptism was, this manifestation of them knowing without a shadow of a doubt, Lord God, that they're loved, they belong, and God, that they're special. And I thank you for it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And I'm done. God bless you. Have a great evening. Jesus for me